0: It seems like every electronic device you touch today involves some sort of battery. Your phone, your laptop, your iPad, and even your car.
1: Batteries have been around forever, really, lithium ions dominate for the last 20 years.
0: That's right, lithium ion batteries have been around for decades. But have you ever
1: wondered how it's made? A lot of battery development is done through trial and error. It's called like empirical development.
0: Battery production boasts one of the most complex supply chains and development processes there are in the world.
1: Just a few weeks before, the CTO of Dassault Systems described battery modeling as the most complex modeling problem of his career. The underlying processes are just wildly complex.
0: Even something as simple as developing an electric scooter seems so trivial.
1: Developing electric scooters shouldn't be that difficult. It's quite a small product. At the moment, these scooter manufacturers, you know, they're met with this whole world of complexity when it comes to selecting the right battery for them, how to control it, how to model it.
0: Today on Things of Change podcast, we're going to talk to somebody who spent a lot of time thinking about the problem of battery development.
1: It is super difficult making these digital models of batteries. It adds huge like, timelines onto their development. Whereas what we offer them is some very simple tool sets. Yet get to designing their product, which is their scooter, what it looks like, how it all fits together. So massively reduce their time to market.
0: Co-founder and CEO Gavin White is going to talk to us today about his company called About Energy. And he's also coincidentally going to talk to us about energy.
1: Um, And for us, is what really motivates us is... It just opens up a whole new world of electrification. Yeah, it's very satisfying that our technology could be used by so many to, to change like, what whole cities look like.
0: Stay tuned to hear about how Gavin is trying to change the entire battery development life cycle. If you had known how important the technology economy was 20 years ago, would you have done things differently? the internet, cell phones, the cloud, and data. Things have changed.
2: We're here to talk about it. Hi, I'm Jed. Hi, I'm Shikhar. Welcome to Things Have Changed, your new economics and technology podcast. Batteries are everywhere, right? You use it for every single thing, like remotes, now even your cars. I worked at Abbott within their pacemaker division, and we spent months figuring out how to build the right case for the battery that sits in the pacemaker that goes into your ribcage. So it's kind of prevalent across all aspects of life. But in spite of all of that, in spite of us having this technology for a while, batteries are freaking hard chemical reactions actually make and store energy. So to get the right mix of the materials, right amount of power it can generate, the right cost for the consumer, sustainability. So there are so many factors that go into it that makes it so complex that, you know, we have a guest today who's going to break down the complexity a bit. Today, we have a special guest, Gavin White, uh, CEO and co-founder of About Energy, a super exciting battery tech company where they're working on cutting edge Uh, solutions that has the potential for us to change the way how we store and use energy today. Gavin, welcome to Things Have Changed.
1: Yeah, thanks very much for having me on. It's honestly an honor to be on the show. And I think you've set the scene perfectly in terms of, yeah, the complexity of the problem. And hopefully you can kind of get into that today. About Energy is a battery testing and modeling company. And we provide a full software solution to our customers Batteries are so ultra complex that even the most advanced models make lots of assumptions. But effectively, what we try and do is try and digitalize battery development, allowing you to do a lot of the you know, testing and simulation on your computer rather than doing it in real life.
2: We were chatting just before the call and you mentioned how you were working on these super expensive Formula One cars. So how did that experience kind of go? That is, for many mechanical engineers out there, me including back in the day, was a dream job.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what it was for me as well. And uh, yeah, growing up, I always dreamt of working kind of in the Formula One industry, very much the pinnacle of engineering. You know, the top quality engineers, huge budgets—you can do some amazing, really cool things. And yeah, when I was at university, I got lucky enough to work on what's called the Valkyrie hypercar, which was a collaboration between Aston Martin and Red Bull Racing. And it was basically my first dabble into kind of this like super high-end, you know, Formula One engineers, yeah, making these hypercars. And although the engineering was amazing, the product was amazing, it was super unfulfilling. Yeah, making these supercars for super rich. There was no real like social impact. There was a horrible environmental cost. Led me me to an existential crisis where I was like, oh, my dream has been shattered. I don't know what I want to do anymore. And and yeah, I always knew I wanted to start a a company. And and yeah, that was like five years ago. And never did I think that it would actually happen, let alone be on a podcast today talking about, yeah, the company that I'm now the head of.
2: You mentioned about your dream shattering, right? Yeah. So... I actually got into mechanical engineering to be to be part of that, you know. Um, I actually told my mom, Hey, I, I'm not gonna do, you know, whatever you want me to do. I want to do mechanical engineering because uh I want to be part of the pit crew. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so we used to watch Formula One as a family, right? I wanted to be part of that team that's making that pit stop work, right? And she looked I still remember this. Mm-hmm. She looked at me and she's like, You want to become a mechanic? And I'm like, yeah. you know, there's a lot of
1: complexity that goes into this. Some of the most talented, you know, engineers in the teams, they're the people that not only change the tires, but they have to go and rebuild the whole car, debug it, all the issues, make parts like on the fly. So, so yeah, I think if uh, you had achieved that, that would have been an amazing thing. It's a shame <laughs> that. <laughs>
2: I just went the corporate route. Yeah.
0: You mentioned you went into this dream role of yours. You realized you had an existential crisis. Um, You probably did other things after that to try to, you know – get into the mood of what you were trying to do so I guess what really brought you to deciding that this was you know the next step for you yeah
1: well I always knew that I kind of I wanted to work for myself long term always wanted to start a business but just didn't know what or how like how do you come up with the idea just to start a business I knew that you know done a few projects in university working on like a formula student car and an electric version of it I knew batteries were, well, one, they're super complex, but two, you know, represented a huge opportunity for growth. This was probably, you know, the right space to be in. And it was while traveling, you know, after university traveling in Asia, I read Elon Musk's book, which is super cringy to say. Um, but in it, he has two paragraphs, which nobody <laughs> ever realizes, okay. where he talks about how doing a PhD is a great way to start a business. Because you get three or four years to focus on some technology, and then on the side, build up a business case and kind of work out what you want to do. And and even though Elon Musk, I think he did his PhD for like two days before he dropped out and drove to California with his brother. <laughs> that's um, right. His his logic, yeah, his logic was super super sound. And and yeah, kind of that's what led me to want to do a PhD. And then through a lot of good fortune, I ended up um, at Imperial College London doing a PhD on the thermal modeling of batteries with uh, Professor Greg Offer.
0: It's really difficult for me to imagine that if I wanted to start a business, I needed to go through a PhD first, I would immediately be like, yo, that's tough. That is some <laughs> tough stuff to,
2: <laughs> I'm to start out. with. but This but, ain't for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's too difficult. No, but I- if you think about it, right, you spend a lot of time thinking about a problem um, when you're in a PhD. So it's it's very similar to starting a business yeah. anyway, where you think about the problem so much. It's just in in a really... It's in a nice environment where you get to speak to experts, get some guidance on how to, you know, approach certain things. And I think that was awesome that it led you to this idea that was further developed by, by the people and the talent that, that is yeah. around you. So tell us a little bit about the problem that you came in trying to solve.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, so the specific problem that kind of I addressed in my PhD and now about energy addresses is, is that we measure the inputs for the models themselves. So there's all these like you know well-established models, thermal models, electrochemical, equivalent circuit models that we know can represent what's going on in the battery very well, but there's a huge issue with measuring the inputs that go into these models. So is what what we do and what I did through my PhD is we refocused on the inputs, and the reason we do that is to try and make the models as useful as possible. Right. And then going back to kind of the original question is, you know, why don't we focus on the materials, the formats, etc. We at About Energy want to provide people the tools to let them do that. You know, that's a super complex problem in itself, deciding like the right materials, compositions, formats. Um, We want to give people like the digital tools so they can really address that.
2: And Gavin, so on that point, right, how did the traditional manufacturers, uh, designers, go about developing batteries today? The way I look at it, chemical engineering and battery production has been there for a long time so uh, what has changed dramatically over the past few years which has made this r&d process like harder and harder because that's what kind of you know while i was reading i was like okay even though this yeah. is a well established product the process to create the product is still quite hard because so many things are changing so Yeah, for sure. And it's
1: something that through my PhD, I kind of started to unravel and couldn't really believe that it is done this way. But like you said, at the start batteries have been around forever. Really lithium ions dominate for the last 20 years. We use them in our watches, phones, cars. Um, But a lot of battery development is done through trial and error. It's called like empirical development. Um, You know, you literally throw some extra materials into the battery, manufacture it. Okay, well, let's try throw a bit more of this in and And, you know, there's real expertise where over a period of time, you really learn, you know, what works and what doesn't work. And people always ask, like, surely not. Surely there's, like, a model, you know, an Excel sheet that tells you, oh, you put these things together, you get this kind of battery. And, like, yes, there's Mm. an Excel sheet that might try and predict that and say "Mm, it might be something like this. But actually making a battery is very similar to baking a cake. You know, fundamentally what's going on is a very similar process. You get different materials, you put them all together, stir them up, Put them into an oven and cook them yeah and you know your egg flour water ch- fundamentally changes chemical in the oven to a new material and that's kind of what's going on in the battery and as i'm sure anybody that's ever done any bacon will realize that it's a very very sensitive process you know you change the ratios of mixtures slightly you change your oven temperature slightly your humidity your pressure you know and all this stuff changes so you look at battery manufacturing cell manufacturing. If anybody's watched like the Tesla um, kind of webinars, the complexity and the difficulty of the problem of trying to do this at scale consistently requires humidity control, temperature control, very, very tight mixture control measurements. Very, very difficult to make models that will fully predict that. And in fact, it's probably a decade away from, from actually doing that, which is why people really just trust this kind of trial and error process, guaranteed results. Now, what we're trying to do about energy is, We provide models that help inform of decisions in that process. You know, people already have some very basic ones at the moment. We're trying to make ones that are more detailed. And ultimately is what we're trying to do is help digitalize this development of both the actual cells themselves. But then once you've made your battery cells, the individual kind of like battery units to then build them into a battery pack um, and, yeah, make this. Move this into a simulation environment where you can iterate much, much quicker, much, much faster for a much lower cost.
2: And it's it's kind of you know when you you, you were saying that I was kind of quite surprised that it's taken so long um, for modeling to get pervasive. Uh, I'm just thinking about you know I, I spend time in in Intel and uh, you know everything is more or less digitized when it comes to modeling a lot of things when it comes to temperature yeah. right on the chip um and even with you know say you know planes and cars you have like your cfd modeling and stuff so is it something that um what you do in the lab on the simulation front does not really translate to what you actually see on the field like what is that gap why was there like this this disparity that people are better off just going you know what we know the basic way of making the battery let's try to wing a few things and see if we create something better
1: yeah i think it's really the complexity of what you're trying to model i remember in the first year of my phd i went to a conference and there was a talk from somebody at dasso systems which is like one of the world's largest modeling companies you know tens of billions of dollar valuation and he said that you know just a few weeks before the cto of dasso systems described battery modeling as the most complex modeling problem of his career you know, and this is somebody that's wow. you know done CFD, done yeah, cfd yeah. And people always ask like why is it so complex? And it's fundamentally what's going on in the battery. So inside the battery you have your two electrodes, yeah, and you have this is all you know filled with your electrolyte and your lithium. And your lithium is like intercalating and deintercalating. So it's basically like you know, moving and wiggling its way into one material and then wiggling its way out, moves across the electrolyte, this liquid, and then moves back into the other side. So if you were to zoom way in on a battery, yeah, the process that's actually going on is lithium is physically moving between these materials through this liquid. Yeah, so on a, if you were to zoom way in, it is somewhat of a CFD problem because you have this like you know this transport of of, um, of lithium. Yeah, yeah, but this is all going on at like the nanometer level. It's made more complex because you have chemical reactions thrown on top of that, which are you know somewhat spontaneous. So very hard to, to predict. So, and then the real problem is that the only things you can measure are like the voltage of the battery, the volt that you you control the current and you measure the voltage and the temperature. So you're basically measure in two things, control and one, and you have to infer all this super complex chemical reaction, lithium transport, this intercalation, this deintercalation reactions. so in terms of like yeah why the models still aren't aren't good enough is because the underlying processes are just wildly complex.
0: You talked a lot about the inputs being very difficult to collect. and in, in my head, I was like, well, if people who were developing batteries all this time, these manufacturers, right, why couldn't they just create their own models and you know, come up with uh, uh, inferences of their own for what comes in as an input? And I think from the reading that we've done with what software platform you're providing. A really huge thing that you are also providing them um, as part of these inferences is good battery data. I think that's something that, you know, at least from what we've read so far, hasn't been widely available in the past. And now, you know, you have all these people um, like Nick and Yen, who's been collecting stuff like this for a long time, who have something called a battery report, which helps uh, people who don't really understand batteries kind of understand the space more. So Do you think um, that was kind of a a big unlock for you to have all of this battery data to have as an input when creating these models? You know, less inferences, the better, I guess, or better inferences.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, And our kind of goal about energy is to get this huge amount of data, take all these measurements and then make it as simple as possible for people to use. You know, so people don't need to understand the complexities. So, yeah, one one way we do that about uh, energy is we're, we're bringing out this database called The Vault, which is a database of commercially available cells. And by that, I mean it's cells that, like, literally you or me could just go and buy off the shelf tomorrow from websites from Samsung, Panasonic, LG, Sony. And there's, you know, between 500 and 1,000 different ones of these. Um, and these are, you know, even these ones are used in automotive cars. Um, I know that for a fact. They're used in electric scooters, electric bikes, portable chargers, aerospace, you know, because you need to make batteries in the tens, hundreds of millions to get the economies of scale. So what we do is we went out we we bought a lot of them. We brought them into the lab, tested them, you know, made these models, taken loads of measurements of them. And then we're now providing this through the software platform called Devolt, Um, yeah, which allows people to just on their computer very quickly assess the difference between a Samsung cell and an LG cell um, to see well what's the better one for their application, for their scooter, for their bike. You know, this is a process that you know would have taken them weeks or months to source the batteries, and you know months or years to test them um, before they could get to that decision-making point. Whereas we massively reduce that um, for them.
2: That's that's really impressive because say you have an online repository where manufacturers can come on that platform and now Mm -hmm. based on, okay, so if this manufacturer is an e-scooter, right, they can look into what parameter battery they need based on what power and torque that they want to receive from their product. And you could, like different manufacturers could just do that on your platform and just get that information that way they at least jumpstart their development or know what's out there. Yes.
1: Yeah, so it's mainly for like the people designing the scooters or designing the cars is to allow them to choose what's the best battery for me. So even like, you know, Samsung have uh, over 12 different battery models available, you know, it's similar with LG, Sony, etc. So, so if you're designing an electric scooter, you have to think, well, Okay there's 500 to 1000 different options what's the best one for me like like you say you know you have a certain torque requirements power requirements you know cost sustainability requirements like where do you even start trying to figure out what's the best one and this is a super opaque um, you know decision making process at the moment so what we do with our platform is we provide a lot of the data so you can make that information but even that in itself is super overwhelming you know this huge like excel sheet of information so yeah we're developing an algorithm in which you put in your requirements so your power your torque your size your mass your cost yeah and the algorithm will basically hunt through this database and return you know oh here's the top five or top 10 that you should start looking at not to say this is definitely the best one but it's like here's a good place to start looking um because at the moment it's this, yes yeah, super challenging
0: that's a great unlock at least for them but Quick question, like, could, could you give our, our listeners a little bit of an idea of what kind of decisions they can make? Um, maybe one of the most common decisions that manufacturers have to make using um, this data. Um, where do you see like the value prop for them? What kind of decisions do you think they make with this type of data?
1: Yeah, so like a cell manufacturer, whenever they're designing a cell, you know, they have, you know, different things they need to choose from, whether they make the battery energy dense or power dense, or they make it, you know, super cost effective or, you know, last really long. So it's got very low amounts of degradation. And these things are very much like interdependent. You can't have them all, it's impossible. So like to make your battery more power dense, you would put more aluminium and copper current collectors in, take the energy into and out of the battery. Now, the problem is that's not active material. So you're, You're actually like sacrificing some energy density for it so with energy and power you have a direct trade-off between you can't have both you have to make it energy dense or power dense now the same is somewhat true for degradation and cost you know to like massively oversimplify this cobalt is a very stable material Um, it really prevents battery degradation so if you throw loads of cobalt into a battery you know you're going to improve its lifetime the problem is that comes at a cost. Cobalt's extremely expensive, very difficult yeah. to source sustainably. So cell manufacturers are constantly making this trade-off. How energy and power dense do I want to make this one? How cost-cheap and long-lasting do I want to make it? And this is why cell manufacturers have a whole range of models, similar to how car manufacturers have a range of models. You know, Some are really energy dense, some are power dense, some are very you know, cost-effective, some last for a long time, and then there's a whole range of ones in between that. In the previous conversation,
2: I mentioned e-scooters, right? Uh, And it's something that I noticed. I was in India for for a month. The talk of the town, at least in the US, has been EVs, electric cars, largely. EVs as in electric vehicles, but largely cars. Mm -hmm. And when I went back uh, to India this time around, the number of electric scooters that I saw was staggering. It's already 15% of the two-wheeler market in India. So, which is a huge jump. Dude, nothing existed four years ago. I can tell you with certainty. So it's quite fascinating to see how all these new players are riding this trend. And it's not just, it doesn't have to be only Tesla. There are just so many winners in this battleground. And it's really exciting Mm -hmm. that you guys are allowing that to, I guess, democratize that knowledge a bit more than what it is today.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's a very good point to make. There's like a whole range of new applications for batteries. Electric scooters are, yeah, a massive opportunity. Um, and developing electric scooters shouldn't be that difficult. It's quite a small product. Um, yeah, You know, it uses a battery. Um, it just has like an on-off control mechanism. But at the moment, these scooter manufacturers, you know, they're met with this whole world of complexity when it comes to selecting the right battery for them, how to control it, how to model it. And these are, it is super difficult making these digital models of batteries. And, you know, for them, it you know adds huge like timelines onto their development. Whereas what we offer them is some very simple tool sets in which, you know, they don't have to fully understand how the battery works or what's going on. You know, with us, they can just use a very simple model um, and, yeah, get to designing their product, which is their scooter, what it looks like, how it all fits together. So massively reduce their time to market. Um, And for us is what, you know, really motivates us is is it just opens up a whole new world of electrification and a whole new range of possibilities. So, yeah, it's very satisfying that, you know, our technology could be used by so many to, you know, to change what whole cities look like.
2: Every new scooter is electric, um, which itself can contribute huge amounts because, as you know, in dense countries, Jed, even you might know in Philippines, everyone's riding a bike. Everyone's riding scooters because, you know, traffic and the people, you just get to your place faster. Uh, So that was really interesting. Um, So you're creating a platform that manufacturers can use. A lot of this is IP. Battery manufacturers want to have, and rightly so, I guess, they want to have a tight lid on their production process. Um, So how does it work with you? How's that partnership? How are you building those relationships with these manufacturers, again, massive companies, mm-hmm. to actually productize the research and modeling that your company is doing.
1: Yeah, very well aware that, you know, cell manufacturers, scooter companies, automotive companies, you know, they have a huge amount of IP that they want to keep in-house. You know, they have to differentiate. I mean, this is especially acute for cell manufacturers. You know, their chemistry combination, what their cell looks like, you know, that's proprietary to them. Yep. So we offer a few few services that you know are specifically for that. One, you know, we do a lot of our testing and work under non-disclosure agreement. So we already do this for some of the world's biggest cell manufacturers and automotive companies. They send us batteries under NDA, we test it and send them back that data and nobody else ever gets to see it. But long term is what we want to develop is, you know, a set of tools and databases and repositories of information that allow them to go away and design best sells using our technology but they can use it to to differentiate in their own way and what i mean by that is for example you know we could develop a model an algorithm a simulation environment in which you know allows a manufacturer to go and put in their own numbers or tweak their own variables that we never get to see what they've changed what they've done but they can use that as a tool to go and design their system and i guess like the analogy to this is if you look at like the finance industry for example and investment you know every finance company and investor uses Microsoft Excel to predict, predict yep. cash flow, like the kind of forecasts. But Everybody can you know, make their own kind of forecasts based on the same tool set. And that tool is Excel, Microsoft Excel. We want to do the same for batteries, yeah. provide the underlying tools that let other people go away and design what they need to design.
2: Yeah, that's a great way to position it. Basically saying, hey, we are going to improve the, your productivity. So come and give us yes. your money. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think it's a very strong value proposition. Um, and, you know, it massively helps them as, you know, we'll take away some of the legwork from you in developing these tools. And the beauty of it is that everybody in the world needs, you know, very similar tools. So we can centralize that. We can do it much, much cheaper than they could ever develop in-house. And, and the goal for us is to really, you know, accelerate electrification, speed up development for these companies. Um, so, yeah. I think it's very exciting at the moment, uh, the direction we're taking this.
0: Yeah, exactly. Can, Can you imagine how much of an unlock Excel was for people like me in the industry? I can't even imagine how people back in the day used to do finance, you know, without Excel. It's just not possible, dude. It's not one of those things we we can have. No, that's the thing, right? Similar to how the battery industry is gonna involve a lot with a piece of technology like this, taking care of one piece of the problem to make it a lot easier so that the next few generations can focus on some, you know, different types of problems um, in the supply chain or in, in the manufacturing process, you know, however it is, it'll be one of those things that that will um, level up the, the industry. So really, really exciting stuff. Um, Gavin, I wanted to move on to kind of the pain points of this process. And I'm sure there is no shortage of pain points um, when, when you had, had yes. to come up with the idea, how you were thinking about commercializing this, you know, to reach out to the manufacturers and whatnot. But a part of it is I think, you know, today the recent conversations that we've had showed how kind of, visible or how transparent the battery industry is starting to become people are sharing information they're starting to learn a lot from each other about you know the manufacturing process but i guess like can you talk to us a little bit about the pain points of today um, with you developing this this kind of product you know one of the pain points that has been kind of relieved a little bit is the sharing of this information as i was just talking about but you know what are those other pain points that you can see in in this industry
1: Yeah, for sure. I think the biggest pain point for us and for the industry is making these digital models, and these digital twins, like representative of the real life battery. That is the fundamental problem we're trying to solve. And going back to the kind of baking the cake analogy, like, yeah, the biggest problem for us is making a model that would predict that cake that comes out of the oven. And that's kind of what we're addressing today. And there's lots of, you know, we have these super complicated models that, you know, model, well, attempt to model the underlying physics, but they make so many assumptions about what's going on. And if I, you know, drew on a whiteboard to you what actually happens and what the most complicated models assume, you would say there's a wildly different process. So for us, our biggest challenge is, is trying to unlock that, you know, doing huge amounts of research, doing gathering huge data sets to try and unlock the key between, you know, you bring these materials together together, where you have this battery and then, you know, we can predict what the performance of that would be. So the biggest challenge for us is is working with cell manufacturers to make these kind of digital models that go from, yeah, raw battery materials or even a raw cell into, into like, you know, cell level or system level performance. Um, And that's really what we're driving towards.
0: So, this concludes the part one of our conversation with Gavin White, co founder and CEO of About Energy. We hope you had fun listening to our conversation with Gavin about how he's trying to solve the issues within the battery production lifecycle. Now, if you're an avid listener of Things Have Changed podcast, you're probably thinking there are other industries very similar to the battery industry that was also super complex, like the space industry. But due to a lot of help from government programs, the space industry has had a facelift and now private institutions are leading the space. In our next episode, we're going to talk exactly about how the battery industry is also being changed by government policies and incentives. Now, Gavin and the entire battery industry has also benefited from some of these programs driven by the government. And he's going to talk us through his experience of how governments can shape how industries evolve. As always, here on Things of Change podcast, stay curious.